All right, so we're back in Jonah. We're going to be in chapter 3, so if you want to open up your Bibles there. And I want to start off, and I want to tell you this. Each sunrise is like a reset button because it's your chance to turn away from yesterday and enter into new resolutions for the day you have just entered into. Jonathan Edwards, a famous preacher who has been called by some to be the greatest mind that America has ever produced, had resolutions that he lived by. And Forbes published some of those resolutions. I want to read three of them to you. First resolution. I love this one. It's my favorite. I resolve to live with all my might while I do live. Second one. I resolve to never lose one moment of time to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. And then third, I resolve to never do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Now, I got to be honest with you. When the sun sets over my head at the end of the day, I don't normally feel like I lived with all of my might while I lived that day. And the reality is that we probably all feel that way. And because of that, we begin to have these regrets. We begin to have this guilt and shame that as we reflect on what happened that day, the guilt and shame take over at it in the night. And when that happens to you, you realize I was not as present with my family as I ought to have been. You realize that there was a web of sin that you were caught up in and couldn't seem to get up out of it. You start to realize that you, you spent too much time thinking about yourself and less time worrying about others. And you realize you wasted so much time that you could have spent pursuing the God who pursues you. But the morning's a new day. It's a fresh start, a new start. And what happens is, is that sun rises, you begin to reflect on the grace of God. And his grace is larger than the sin that you had the day before. And when you realize that, it compels something in you. It strengthens something in you to resolve to live a new way that day. So each sunrise is good news. And it compels you to say, I will not waste another day of my life. Let me read to you Jonah 3. And I want to give you the context. So Jonah's wasted some days of his life. God called Jonah to do something incredibly important. And Jonah ran the exact opposite direction that God called him to. And so God decided he was going to have a giant sea monster swallow him up and spit him out onto dry ground. The sun rises on that day and God recommissions Jonah. He retells him, here is what you must do, Jonah. So that's the context. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise. So God has told him something. He rebelled. He ran. God is telling him the same thing over again. I don't know if you've ever felt like that's happened in your life. It probably has. So then God goes on and he says, arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it 
the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. All right, here's our first point. You're yesterday. Jonah was given this important task to go to Nineveh. And it was so important, so much so that it would have been the thing that saved Israel from Nineveh. He is given this job to do that would save an entire nation. Why do I say that? Well, because Nineveh is in Assyria. And years later, Assyria would invade Israel and drive them forever from their homeland. Uprooted. Now, that never would have happened if the Ninevites in all of Assyria had turned to be in a personal relationship with God. That never would have happened. So Jonah's task is far more important than he realizes. But he runs the other way. He runs from God's mission. But we see today that God is not done with Jonah. Jonah spits him back up on, God spits Jonah back up on to dry land for a new beginning. So God is not done with this running prophet, and he's not done with you. And so what was your yesterday like? I mean, did you really live with all of your might while you lived your day? Did you live, practically speaking, like it could have been your last hour? And I want to say something that goes against what everybody says you should hear. And here's what I want to tell you. You are not okay the way that you are. You are not okay the way that you are. And I want, you to, I want to tell you why that's good news. Because if your life is an absolute mess, and I tell you you're not the way, okay the way that you are, do you know what that means? It means that you can rise up and take some responsibility for what's happened in your life. You can make some changes, and you can make your life a little better, and you can make the people that you love, you can make their lives a little better. Actually, to say that you are okay the way that you are is a very pessimistic statement. Because if your life is a mess and you're okay the way that you are, then it doesn't get any better than that. So it's good news. It means that there's hope. Now, I want to, so you're not okay the way that you are. Sorry for being so mean. But I want to tell you something else. Christianity is magnificently unique. Nothing else is like Christianity because at the same, you can say both these things at the same time. You can say, I am not okay the way that I am, but at the same time, you can say, I am perfectly fine just the way that I am. Now, I want to explain this paradox to you because the story of Christianity is that God has seen us not okay, but he's opened up the heavens and he's come down and he, God has, himself has lived a perfect life. And, and then he died a death that was ours. And he took every sin, every mess up, every propensity that you have inside of yourself to mess everything up in your life. And he took it and he put it on himself and he owned it. And he made it his. And when he was pierced on the cross and when he was nailed to it, when he experienced the wrath for sin, it was your sin that he experienced that for. And so because of that, everything's okay. 
and all the good stuff he did, he gave to you. So you have this perfect record. Everything's good. Everything's okay. You're going to be fine. And then now you look at this perfect Christ-like record that you've been given. I mean, and it's up here. It's way beyond your reach of what it seems. But then at the same time, you've been told that you have this strength in you that's been deposited by the Holy Spirit. And so now you can start making moves to become who you're made to become. You can see you're not okay, but there's strength that's been given to you by God to become who you've been credited to be. I mean, and so that understanding right there is your key to growth in life. And without it, you will be crushed. You'll either think there's no way you can do it, or you'll endeavor to do things that are beyond you. Because when you say you're a Christian and you, and you really are, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and empowers you to live differently. So you aren't okay, but you are. Jonah, here's what Jonah did. Jonah took aim in the exact opposite direction that God was pointing him to. See, when you've been saved and you look at the one who saved you and he points and says, this is what you're made to become, you go running in that direction. But Jonah run in the, ran in the opposite direction. And here's the question. Why would Jonah do that? Jonah's a prophet. He knows who God is. And a lot of you know who God is and yet you're running from him. Why would Jonah do it? Jonah does it for the same reason that you and I do it. For comfort and for pleasure. Our verse talks about the Ninevites fasting and putting on sackcloth. So sackcloth is this goat's hair that's rough and it's coarse. And people put this on as a way to say that I am denying the comforts and pleasures of this world that I am seeking. Now, this sounds strange to us, but it's a genius move because it's someone making a public statement saying, look, I messed up. I've been looking at all the comforts and pleasures that this world is offering me, and I've realized that they are not delivering. So I am denying myself comfort and pleasure in this world so that I might reach for a greater comfort and pleasure that is found above in the heavens. It's a genius move. And so what, what happened is the Ninevites and Jonah, both of them, they're aiming at comfort and pleasure from the world. And it's actually driving them away from God. So that means that the, potentially the greatest obstacle that you have at aiming, at becoming who you're made to be, is your desires for comfort and pleasure. So I want to tell you, Christianity, you know, Christianity does not have a, in fact, Christianity celebrates comfort and pleasure. So here's what's going on. When you aim at comfort and pleasure, you lose them. But if you aim at Christ, you get comfort and pleasure thrown in. So in one sense, you have to absolutely stop making comfort and pleasure your greatest aim. And make Christ your greatest aim. But in another sense, if you'll stop settling for the comfort and pleasure that the, this world offers and reach for a greater comfort and pleasure, you will find yourself passing right by all these false comforts and pleasures, reaching up into the heavens and then finally taking hold of Christ who is your true comfort and pleasure. Any circumstance that you are in 
Christianity promises that there is comfort and pleasure that is offered to you. I mean, did you hear that? Any circumstance. So if you're a Christian and you aren't experiencing comfort and pleasure, so like if that's you, which I'm, come on, I'm going to bet that that's most of you, you're not experiencing the comfort and pleasure you want. The problem is where you're aiming. And so you're aiming in the wrong direction. So the Ninevites and Jonah, because of their aim at comfort and pleasure as their main goal, it left Jonah down into the abyss, into the darkness, in the bottom of the sea, in the, in, into hell, you can say. And then you've got the Ninevites, and they're about to be overturned because they're seeking comforts and pleasures in this world. And it's like they've walked to the edge of the cliff, and their toes are hanging off the edge, and the, the fires of danger are below, like singeing their toes. And they're about to be overturned. Why? Because they sought comfort and pleasure in the wrong place. But second point, a new day has come. And it's for you too. So, all right, the same way, well, there's a sea monster after you. Let me say it like that. So the same way that God appointed this big fish, this sea monster, to, to go and swallow Jonah the same way God is appointing some giant sea monster to swallow you up. In the same way that God brought his word to Nineveh to change them in the direction that they were going, the same way God is bringing his word to change your direction. See, the fish is there to change your direction. In the prior verses, before what I read in, in chapter 2, we see that God actually was the one who appointed the storm that would go and throw these waves upon Jonah. They were crashing on him. And God was in absolute control throughout all of it, the whole time. And so we got to ask, what is God doing to Jonah? How would we describe that? What would we call that? It's loving and controlled discipline. And it's gracious discipline. So there's a way that, you, that a father can discipline his children when the father is absolutely out of control. He's mad, he's angry, he's not showing love for his kids. And then there's another father who can discipline his children, but be in complete control, wanting good to come out of that discipline, disciplining them in the exact perfect way that they need. And that's what God's up to with Jonah. He disciplined Jonah for his good. God will not sit idle as you ruin your life. He's going to give you what you need to put you back up on dry land, to turn you around, to save you from walking off of that cliff. And so what I'd like you to consider is that some of the difficulties you are having in your life, you know, churches don't tell you this, but the Bible does. Some of the difficulties you might be having in your life is you coming under the discipline of God. But I want you to know it's controlled discipline and it's gracious and it's loving because he's a loving father and he's giving you exactly what you need and you gotta believe it and you're gonna be tempted not to and when you're tempted not to believe it, it's gonna make you keep running away from him. So turn back. He's good. And see, his goal is to get you to true comfort and pleasure, not the false stuff, not the fake stuff. And so you look upon the horizon as the sun comes up and you aim at the new day where you are called to aim at. 
Now, I want to talk to you about your heart because your heart's got to be right in all of this. So what does someone with a right heart say to God? They say, God, what must I do? A willingness to do the will of God. In this amazing story of the Lord of the Rings, there's this little, tiny, insignificant hobbit. And these little hobbits save the world because they simply do what is required of them. So what happens is this dangerous ring comes in the hands of this little hobbit named Frodo. And he looks up and he says, what must I do? That's someone who's ready to do the will of God. That looks up at God and says, God, what must I do right now? It's someone who's ready to say, I'm not. I'm denying myself the comforts and pleasures of this world. I'm ready to do your will. You might be able to, in seeking comfort and pleasure, acquire every material possession you think you might need to be comfortable and have pleasure. And you might like crazy seek a spouse. And you might find a great one. And you might have the greatest children that the world can have, but you could be absolutely miserable. Because if you're aiming at comfort and pleasure, you're going to put so much pressure on finding that comfort and pleasure. And when you don't have it, you're going to be miserable. And often, let's be honest, this world has fallen. So it's not like dishing out comfort and pleasure like, like it's flowing like rain. It's, it's hard to find. And so the message of today is that there's a comfort and pleasure in heaven that can be found in any circumstance in Christ. So the way to do that is to change what you're aiming at. Don't aim at comfort and pleasure. Just look up at Christ and say, what must I do? And then, because you know what, you're, you're like a radar detector. You're constantly searching for for pleasure. You're constantly searching for comfort, and you're looking in the wrong place, and if you'll just look up at him, he's going to dish it out to you. But that brings us to our aim. What exactly are you aiming at? If you're aiming at becoming what God's called you to be, but what is that? Well, this is our third point, your new purpose. The question is, what is your Nineveh? And the answer is, it's the city that you are in. So you're called to impact the city for its good. Now, the first thing you might be asking is, the whole city? Like all of it, me? Like I can barely get my own life together. My family is a mess. I mean, shouldn't I help myself or shouldn't I get myself on track? Shouldn't I get my family on track? What about our church? The church will be of no good to the city without you. And so, what does that mean? These are the right questions to ask. And I want to tell you, when you aim in the right direction, you start asking yourself, am I ready for this? And when the answer is no, what it means is you start getting your house in order. You start getting your heart right. You start getting your home right. Because to get the city right, you got to get yourself right. You got to get your home right. So, Jonah's heart was all out of whack. And he ran. But I want you to notice something of what God does. He doesn't tell Jonah, Jonah, go get your heart right and then go to Nineveh. He tells him to go to Nineveh. 
And as God points him to his aim, it exposes the heart problem in Jonah. And so now Jonah's got to deal with his heart issues. And what it leads to is a big wrestling match with God. And I want to tell you, it's, it's actually better to wrestle it out with God than to completely ignore the mission that he's given you. Because maybe some of you, you've heard the mission that God's given you, and you're just staying in your spot. You're not running because it's actually safer to not run. He's like the hound of heaven who will chase you down. So you figure, I'll just sit here and not do anything. It's a little more comfortable. So at least there's a wrestling match with Jonah. And so maybe some of you need to have a wrestling with God. You know, Israel, the name Israel, God's people are called Israel. That name literally means wrestles with God. God expects it from you. So if you need to do it, just go wrestle with him. He's going to win, but it'll be a good match. <laughs> so when you aim in the right direction, you think I'm not ready for this but he makes you ready. He's pressing you onto maturity, and he's going to press your family onto maturity as you take aim. Now, why do Christians not, why do Christians fall short of maturity often? It has to do with their aim. So, so people get twisted in their direction. By the way, this, this idea is full, this is repentance. Like, you're aiming in one direction, it's the wrong direction, so you turn back and aim at God and where he's calling you to aim. So you get your life all twisted up. This is what happens. I see it all the time with people. Your family's life is all twisted up. And so you say, oh, you've built up enough courage. We're just going to go to church. And so you get into church and you start hearing all this good news about the grace of God. And like your sins are washed away. And he's giving you the strength and power to become who you're made to become. And you've got this future promise. You're like, this is good. This is fixing us. And then at some point you go from like here to here and you feel fixed. And either what happens is people leave the church or they kind of just hang around and they watch everything happening like a movie. But when you're a Christian, you don't watch everything like it's a movie. You're in the movie. You're part of the story. And, and too often people will see the church like a hospital. And it's broken. It is a hospital. But it's more than a hospital because you enter in broken, but he heals you and he brings beauty up out of the ashes. And then you become part of the healing project. You start healing others. You don't run off and leave. So you're called to help. So how do you help? You simply plant the garden wherever God has put you and you tend it. And that's what produces a great city. When enough people have looked at what God has put before them to do, and they say to God, God, what must I do? And he says this. You know, if you want to know, read his word. It's going to tell you. And so you start doing it in your garden. You're fertilizing it. You're watering it. You're making it look beautiful. And enough Christians throughout the city begin to do that. And then you've got a bunch of gardens that's nourishing all the people of the city. So where are you planting seeds? Where, where are you and your family planting seeds? You know, maybe your kids are deep into sports. This is a great place. This is, this is your garden to tend. tend. Tend to the people there. They are part, I mean, they're the garden. Grow them. What that looks like, I don't know. If you want to meet with me, we can talk about what it could look like. Maybe it's the place where your kids go to school. Maybe that's the garden. Maybe it's your neighborhood. 
maybe because God wants you to reach the ultimate heights of pleasure and comfort, maybe he's wired you in such a way to love to do some things. And those things that you love to do, God wants to be a part of that with you and make it part of your worship. And then as you're doing the things that you love to do, you're tending a garden for the city to enjoy. You know, a lot of people have these talents and they say, how can I use these talents for the church? And that's great. It's good. But take the talents. Don't put them in these, the walls, the buildings here. The church is meant to be out in the city, building these, like growing these beautiful gardens. And another place, another, I mean, this is probably the ideal place for you to see ministry is in your home. That's the core of where ministry happens. And guess what? That forces you to say, my home is not in order. But God, I'm aiming at where God's called me to aim. What must I do, God? Make your home a place of ministry, he says. And so what do you do? You got to get your home in order. That's such a good thing to get your home in order. I'm not talking about picking things up. I'm talking about spiritual, emotional, cultural, like the way God, I mean, yeah. And so the same way that that Nineveh had their toes like dangling over the edge of the cliff. The same way, the same is true for Port St. Lucie. The same is true for Fort Pierce. The same thing is true for Stuart. And God's called us to do something about it. And God's already on the move. So when we read these verses and it talks about that great city being Nineveh, the literal reading is that great city of God. Talking about Nineveh. Now, it's not saying that heaven is in Nineveh. Nineveh is a mess. What it's saying is that God has claimed Nineveh as his own. Abraham Kuyper has this great quote. He says, there's not one square inch over all the earth that Jesus Christ does not declare. That's mine. And that's good news because he's a good king. And so there is not one square inch of Port St. Lucie that he does not declare that is mine. Fort Pierce of Stuart. Because this world has fallen, but God is on the move because it's his world and he's restoring it. And so the question we've got to be asking ourselves is, can this actually happen? Like, can a whole city be changed by some small, little, tiny, insignificant church called the Grove? Can it? Eileen, I knew it was you. Look, Jonah is one man, and I don't know if you looked closely at what Jonah said, but that was one of the worst sermons that he gave, that could be given, Jonah's sermon. It was horrible. I mean, basically what he said is, you're going to die. Good luck. And the whole city changes. They change. From this horrible message. So that means, yes, it can be done. Now, historians will tell you there was a lot of stuff that took place before Jonah got there. There was plagues. There was, there was revolts. There was famines. And I want you to know that God was in complete control of all of that leading up until this moment. Now, I'm, I met with an executive pastor from a church in New York. And he talked about this church was bringing so many people to faith. And he said, something that we've noticed is that no one over the age of 18 comes to faith unless they're going through some difficulties. 
And so there's storms in your life and you think, God, what are you doing to me? And his answer is, I'm bringing you home. I'm bringing you back. I'm putting you back on dry land. Stop running. And the same is true for a countless number of people in our city. And God is calling us to be like Jonah and go to them. So what is your aim? It's them. That's your aim. And if you don't take aim at them, you're going to take aim at comfort and pleasure that's offered in this world. And it will be robbed from you every time because it's not lasting. It's circumstantial. And what's going to happen is if you're seeking comfort and pleasure from this world, you're never going to look beyond your own horizon to see what God's calling you to do with your life. And if you're constantly searching for these pleasures, you're never going to find the pleasures of above. This is our last, last point. New comforts and pleasures. So fasting and sackcloth, a bold way of saying, look, I've messed up. I've searched in all the wrong places for comfort and pleasure. I haven't found it, but I found the place to find it now. It's in the heavens above. Curtis talked about last week. Jesus says, the food that is mine is to do the will of the Father. This is another way of saying, what must I do? What is required of me? Because what Jesus is saying is that there's nothing that's going to feed me and give me nourishment more. There's nothing that's going to satisfy me more. There's nothing that's going to bring me more pleasure and comfort than simply doing the will of my Father in heaven. Have you realized that yet? I was praying for us as a church a few days ago. And I was thinking about the sermon, and I was just thinking, God, what must I do? Like, what are, what must I do? How might I pastor our church well? And I got a strong sense that I need to lead better by calling us into greater maturity. So let me just be honest with you then, if I'm going to do this. You're probably holding on to some things like your time and your talents and your money because you think those are the things they're going to buy you or give you comfort and pleasure. Jesus said, lose your life and you'll find it. So start the habit now of sacrifice, of denying yourself comforts and pleasures in this world so you will reach for something beyond it. Because I'm telling you, as soon as you start making sacrifices, you're going to say, this is hard. This is not comfortable. This is not giving me pleasure. It was not giving Jonah comfort and pleasure, even when he did it. Now, he's a little bit rebellious even when he was following God. But the point is this. You start sacrificing, you lose comfort and pleasure, and it's going to force you to do something. It's going to force you to look to the place, the only place where you can find comfort and pleasure that cannot be stolen from you no matter the circumstance. You look above, and it's there. Let me just give you some examples. That's why serving is important. Serve others. Because when you serve others, you're making sacrifices. You're denying yourself. And when you deny yourself, you say, but what about me? What about me? You know, and then God's saying, I see you. Come to me. I've got all of the pleasure and comfort that you need in this life. 
That's why the Bible talks about giving 10% of your income to the church. God does not need your money. Don't be so foolish to think that. He made all of this stuff out here. He brought, brought everything into existence out of nothing. It's in the Bible because it's good for you, because it causes you to stop clinging to money so that it might give you comfort and pleasure so that God will rain it down on you, his own comfort and pleasure. That's why Sunday mornings are important. Because this is the place where the heavens are meant to open up most because God's word is here coming to you. And it's like it's screaming, here's your comfort, here's your pleasure. And then it causes you to go out and be able to serve the world around you. Husbands and fathers, you are called by God to be the one who takes responsibility for your, for your family and makes the ultimate sacrifice. And when you do it, and when you're missing comfort and pleasure, you go to God, you go to Christ for it. And when you do, he gives it to you. And then now you have that to offer your family. And all these kids, we're a fertile church, there's a lot of kids running around here. And I'm telling you, kids will force you to sacrifice. They make life hard for you, and it's so beautiful because it's forcing you to look beyond you, beyond them, beyond this world for strength and comfort, and joy and pleasure that comes from God. And then you can offer it to your children and then you can enjoy them because you know what? They will suck the joy out of you if you're going to them for joy. They'll suck the comfort out of you if you go to them for comfort. So go to God for it and then, then you don't need so much from them. So how do you reach up into the heavens for this pleasure and for this comfort? And the answer the Bible gives you is you can't. No, I'm not going to stop here. You can't. But the story of Christianity is God opens up the heavens and he comes down in Christ to be your comfort and pleasure. Comfort and pleasure come to you. You seeking after it in all the wrong places and all you have to do is simply turn around and you find Christ right there, like ready to give you a big hug of comfort and pleasure. And do you know, he, he obeys the will of the Father. He says, Father, what do you require of me? What must I do? And he says, go to them. And go to them. And get there through the cross. Get to them through the cross. Not the way that they are, but the way that they will be. Because he's got this vision of you, of what you will become. But his way of getting you there is through the cross. And so he faces the cross because on the other side of it is his great pleasure, which is you. He's like, in a way, he's showing off on the cross. Like, death will not hold me here. But in another way, he's proclaiming his love for you because he's saying, I want you and this is the only way. And then as he rises up out of the grave, he brings you up out of death with him even now. And he places you on terra firma, places you on dry land. And there on that dry land, he says, I'm not done with you yet. There's a purpose for you. I would have brought you to heaven if I was done with you. I've left you here so that you can bring heaven 
comfort and pleasure to this world. But you're never going to know that comfort and pleasure unless you take aim at where he's calling you. And when you do, when you do it, you'll have no choice but to go to him for comfort and pleasure. And then you have it all in him because you have him. And he says, behold, I am with you always, being your comfort and pleasure all the way. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would become a church that boldly asks, what must we do? And we're scared to do it, God. Because we know you're calling us to something bigger than ourselves. So we need you all along the way. So teach us the art of relying on you for our ultimate comfort and pleasure. Teach us how to do it. So we might do what is required of us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.